holding on to. A part of following Jesus is a letting go. A letting go and submitting to to Jesus as king. Jesus famously said, if you want to follow me, you have to deny yourself. That's the letting go. That's the denial of self. We want to think about that particular theme this morning as we think through John chapter 12. John chapter 11 and 12 really serve as that transitional part of the gospel. If you were to sit down and read the, the whole book of John in, in one sitting, you would, you would find the narrative really moving towards these two chapters and then beginning to slow down. We have gone through, if you will, in the first 11 chapters, three years of Jesus' ministry. And beginning in chapter 12, through the end of the book, time slows to the final week of Jesus' earthly ministry. Chapter 12 then provides us really some final answers to, to why Jesus came. Some of the reasons Jesus came have been veiled up to this point as the focus has been primarily on Jesus' ministry of revealing the Father's glory to the world. Now the story begins to shift and focus in on Jesus' death. As we see a repetition over and over as John keeps moving the narrative forward with these phrases about the Passover. He wants his readers to understand that Jesus is the Passover Lamb. The one that John the Baptist, all the way back in chapter 1, declared, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Chapter 11 was a transitional point as it began a new section, as I showed you last week, that is a bookend. 11 begins with the resurrection, and chapter 20, the end of the book, uh, ends with a resurrection, the final resurrection the, the, the one which the resurrection of Lazarus pointed to. And the theme that we saw introduced in 11 that continues this morning in chapter 12 is that death will lead to life. That the death of Christ will lead to life. A, a very oxymoron if you think about it. And this dominant theme of death will really pervade all of it. We're going to take a break after this morning from John's gospel and, and pick it back up in the new year. As this also sort of wraps up and finalizes that beginning section and introduces the final week in ministry of Jesus' life. I invite you to turn to chapter 12, if not already, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the, his disciples, he whom was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you but you do not always have me. 
When a large crowd of Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a donkey and sat on it, just as it is written. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him. And he had done to them. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowds went to meet him was that they had heard that he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. As we think about this passage and the following verses in chapter 12, we could summarize this entire chapter with a very short sentence. Jesus is the victorious king through death. Death, his death, what what seemed to be his defeat, would be his greatest victory as Jesus would overcome death. Throughout this passage, throughout this chapter, Jesus is going to at length explain what kind of king he is. See, everyone had their own expectations of Jesus' kingdom. They wanted to use Jesus as a, as a sort of puppet king to accomplish their goals. And when Jesus didn't do what they wanted, well, they, just like all the other kings of Israel, just cast him to the side. But it was through his death, Jesus will teach that he will become the victorious king and that he will reign. And so for us this morning, as we think about this, is, is our response to this revelation that Jesus is a victorious king. How are we to respond to this? Well, John outlines here for us three responses to this revelation. First, unrelenting devotion to Jesus as king. We see in verses 1 through 19, both in Mary's actions and in the crowds, an unrelenting devotion to Jesus as king. Secondly, in verses 20 through 36, we will see an unending praise to God for Jesus' death. That our response to the revelation that Jesus Christ is a king who will die for our sins should lead us to praise God. To to have a lifetime of devotion and meditation on the death of Christ. Thirdly, in these final verses of the chapters, beginning in In this chapter, verse 37 through 50, we see the urgency to believe in Jesus. Jesus challenges the crowds and teaches his disciples that unbelief was predicted in the Old Testament. That it was God's purpose to blind the eyes of the Jews that they might not see. Well, in verses 1 through 19, we see this unrelenting devotion to Jesus As king. First, we see that Jesus prepares for his death. Jesus is preparing himself for what is about to come. Now, we're told in verse 1 that it's six days before the Passover. 
In other words, it's the final week of Jesus' earthly ministry as he will be executed on the Passover. Uh, At the end of the week, Jesus will die. And so Jesus is preparing not not only himself, but his disciples. And and in a surprising turn of events, as you're reading this, we're, we're told that this great feast, this big party is being thrown. Well, naturally so, right? Lazarus was dead, now he's alive. What, what else to do, right? Then throw a big party, right? And so Lazarus here and Jesus are hanging out at the house. There's a, a big company of folks. They're having a good meal. Martha, as we're told, is serving and, and working hard as she always was. And Mary takes out this, this bottle of ointment and begins to anoint Jesus. And Jesus here, in in John's gospel at least, signifies the the meaning of this act of devotion is in preparation for his own death. Look what he says there in verse 7. Leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. In other words, what Mary didn't even realize that she was doing in this act of devotion to Jesus was preparing his body. Uh, anointing his body so that he didn't stink uh, when he was going to rot away in in death. But of course, we know that Jesus raises uh, from the dead. He, he doesn't. But, but, but this signifies a turning point in the story. Because all throughout John's Gospels, Jesus has again and again put away any wrong notions about why he came. He's not really got into uh, the significance of the cross just yet. But here in chapter 12 and the subsequent chapters, he will begin to teach his disciples the significance of his death. Well, in the midst of this, in the midst of this uh, extravagant devotion displayed by Mary, uh, we hear of the Jews' desire to kill Lazarus. It is a reminder that it was dangerous to follow Jesus. As Jesus prepares for his death, he arrives as the victorious king in verses 12 through 19. Uh, As Jesus here on the next day travels into into Jerusalem, we're told of the triumphal uh, entry of the king. As the, the people are crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Psalm 118 is what they're quoting, what you heard earlier in the service. They are... Basically saying that Jesus is the fulfillment of that psalm, that he is the one who came in the name of the Lord. The word Hosanna means give salvation now. Give it to us now, they're crying out. The king has come to rescue us and deliver us. Come now, come now. This psalm, Psalm 118, is a part of, of a collection of psalms, the Hillel, that would have been sung during the Passover festival. All week long, they would have been singing from this collection. In fact, when Jesus here in the next chapter um, with his disciples, remember after they have um, the institution of the Lord's Supper, uh, what does he do? They go out to the Mount of Olives and they sing a hymn. What hymn did they sing? Well, they sang hymns from the Hillel. They sang from this collection of psalms. And they're declaring in this and attributing to Jesus that he is their long-awaited king. The one who's come to rescue them and give them victory. And here we're told John quoting from Zechariah 9.9. Fear not, verse 19. 
uh, verse 15 rather, fear not, daughters of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. This reveals the kind of king Jesus was going to be. He was going to be a humble king. He didn't come on a stallion, a big war horse. Jesus didn't come to, to rule like men rule. Jesus came as a humble king on a donkey. Donkeys, of course, were instruments, tools of burden. They were, they were work, working animals. They weren't seen as animals that a king would ride in on. Jesus here reveals and the prophets foretold that Jesus would be a humble king. And John here includes some comments beginning in verses 16 through 19. Basically that his disciples, himself included, didn't really understand what was going on. It didn't sink in until later as they began to reflect upon the events that had transpired in their lives and thinking about all that was foretold through the prophets. You see the significance here in verse 18. The reason why the crowds went to meet him was that they had heard the sign that he had done. Remember, Jesus had performed the first sign in Cana. And where did he perform the last sign? But outside of Cana. We see the significance there. Well, moving on from there, we see both in the praise of the people, but also in the devotion of Mary, that as Christians, our lives are to be marked by this unrelenting devotion to Jesus. That we are to praise him, that our lives are to be devoted to him. If your friends, if we were to ask your friends or your neighbors, hey, who, who do you think they're devoted to? Would they say that you are devoted to Jesus above anyone else? Friends, our lives must display our devotion to Jesus as king. It's one thing to just say, yeah, Jesus is my king. But if Jesus is your king, if you are in his kingdom, then you recognize, you devote yourself to him as king. You, you obey him. See, our king came not to rule over men, but to die for men. And we see that this leads us to unrelenting praise. Unrelenting praise that that Jesus is our king and that our king died the death, our, the death we deserve. Look here at verses 20 through 36. This unending praise to God for the death of Jesus. In verses 20 through 30, Jesus teaches us the significance of his own death. We see that in the coming of the Greeks. Now among them went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew went and told Jesus. In other words, they didn't know what to do with these Greeks. They were like, um, it's going to pass the buck to the next guy. Um, and so Philip went, he told Andrew, Andrew went and got Jesus. He's like, I don't know what to do with these people. And Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life will lose it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Jesus here says that his hour has come. 
Now, if you've been following along again and again, John has commented saying that Jesus' hour had not yet come. So, for example, when the Jews sought to arrest him, John says, oh, they couldn't get him. Jesus just sort of passed through their midst because his hour had not yet come. But here in John chapter 12, Jesus declares, my time is up. My hour has come. In other words, the reason why I came has arrived. Jesus here is signifying that his death will have significance. He explains that eternal life comes through death. By this parable that he tells about uh, wheat falling to the earth and dying. In other words, he's saying that, listen, I came for a significant reason, and that is to die for your sins. And that through my death, life will come. Jesus reminds his disciples that following Jesus entails great cost and a great reward. Notice what he says, whoever loves his life, verse 20, uh, 25, whoever loves his life will lose it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. No, notice this theme of death brings life. Something dies so that something can live. Jesus here is sort of the, the example for all of us. He is not calling us to do anything that he himself has not already done. Jesus will die that he might live. And so we must die to ourselves if we are to live in Christ. Finally, in verses 27 through 30, we see that the father bears witness to Jesus's identity and the reason why Jesus came. Now is my soul troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. This is God speaking. The crowds hear him speaking. Jesus is being testified by the Father. There is no greater witness to Jesus and the significance of his death than God himself speaking from heaven and declaring that I will glorify it through death. The theme that you will see in John's gospel is that glory comes through death. What is Jesus dying but for judgment? And so we see in verses 31 through 33 then the achievements of the cross. What results from Jesus's death? In other words, Jesus doesn't just die insignificantly, but he dies to accomplish something. We notice first here he dies to judge the world. Verse 31, now is the judgment of the world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Jesus' death accomplishes judgment. Judgment of sin, our sin, but also of Satan. We see in verse 30 that he or verse 31 that he drives out Satan. He's not the ruler of this world. Christ is the ruler. This is the kind of king that he is he's coming. And we see also that, that those who believe in him will be rescued through his death. And that by dying, he will draw the nations to himself. Look there in verse 32. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. In other words, Jesus will be a king who is worshipped by all. Now, by all men, this does not mean that all people without exception. But rather, all people without exception distinction. 
In other words, not every single person is going to believe in Jesus, but all kinds of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation will believe in Jesus. This is one of the promises we saw, see in the book of Revelation, that every single tribe, tongue, and nation will be represented at the great throne worshiping the king. And as Christians, as we think about the death of Christ for our sins, that Jesus came to die the death we deserve, it leads us to unending praise to God. It is a lifetime of devotion and thinking about that Jesus came. We don't get over the cross, right? We don't like, okay, I believed in Jesus and I move on to like deeper spiritual truth. No, we just keep mining that same well again and again and again and again. We keep turning over in our lives the significance of Jesus coming to die for us. Because we're sinners and we don't deserve grace. We don't deserve God's mercy. What we deserve is death. We deserve to die for our sins. When you get the news that you're not going to die, but that you're going to live forever, well, friend, that leads you to praise to the one who gives you life. We see that displayed not only in the crowds, but in the people and the Greeks who came. If Jesus is the king of kings, then we must have a sense of urgency to respond. If, if, if this announcement, declaration that the king has come, well, friend, there, there comes with that announcement a sense of, of not only devotion and, and not only praise, but, but urgency to respond and to, to give pr- praise to him. Now you think about it this way. If Jesus is this victorious king that he is declaring himself to be, that he will defeat any enemy that gets in, and you think, wow, man, there's a, man, there's a lot of big enemies in this world. There's a lot of strong armies in this world. Uh, there, there, there's some very, very strong kings. And Jesus says, listen, I'm not talking about people that I'm going to defeat. I'm talking about death. What king have you ever met that can defeat death? Nobody can defeat death. We, we all try to sidestep death. We all try to prolong the inevitable. Jesus comes on the scene and says, you want to know what kind of king I am? You know how victorious I am? I'm going to overcome death. I'm going to defy man's greatest enemy, death. If that is true, if Jesus is all powerful, if he is all sufficient, then we must urgently respond while there is still time. We see here in verses 37 through 50, a sense of urgency, not only in Jesus, but in his disciples. We're told that the scriptures predicted the unbelief. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. A sort of uh, picture of of the uh, elusiveness of trusting in Jesus. Verse 37, though he had done many signs before them, They still did not believe in him so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what would he heard from us? 
And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart, and turn and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many of even the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Jews, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. What, did it, what a summary. What a, what a summary indictment upon our sin nature. When we love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. You see, Isaiah 53 expresses the astonishment of the nations that the Lord would rescue his people through the death of his own son. Isaiah 53 is that, that really, this beautiful picture of Christ suffering as a servant of his father for our sin. Paul similarly describes it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. I'll let, I guess I'll let you answer your phone there. Somebody's, somebody's jamming out on their phone, sorry. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. You know there is a silent button on your phones, y'all. You could turn them off for an hour and a half. It's okay. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul writes, "For, For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, the other a fragrance from life to life. In other words, to some people, we smell like death. And to other people's, we smell like life. The point here that Jesus is making and, and John is emphasizing by including these is that some people willingly choose not to believe in Jesus. And some of us willingly choose to believe in Jesus. But the point remains, there is an urgency to believe. We must believe in Jesus. And so Jesus challenges the crowds in these final verses to believe in him. Look with me, beginning in verse 44. And Jesus cried out and said to them, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The the word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has given me a commandment. What to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Jesus here in these final verses challenges the crowds to believe in him. To believe in Jesus is to believe in God. We see this in verse 44. Whoever believes me, believes him who sent me. In other words, to deny Jesus, to not believe in Jesus, is to deny God. To not believe in God. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. All who come to me, right? Come through me. I am the door, he said in chapter 10. To believe in Jesus is to believe in God. He's urging us to believe that he is God. 
To look to Jesus as the light is to see God. In verse 45, whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. Verse 45 is probably one of the most profound verses you'll find. Think about what Jesus just says. Whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. You want to see God? Look to Jesus. There he is. Jesus here is claiming divine sight that, that you will see God. To see Jesus as the light is to avoid darkness. In verse 46, I've come into the world as the light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. This uh, darkness and light, sin and eternal life. To hear and accept Jesus' word is to be saved. If you believe in Jesus, you will be saved. Jesus promises here in verse 47 that he will save you. I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. And to trust in Christ is to receive salvation. To trust in Christ is to avoid condemnation. See, sin has condemned us. It has sentenced us to condemnation. Every one of us is condemned apart from the saving work of Christ. He came to pay the penalty your sin deserved. To hear and accept Jesus' words is to hear and accept God's word. Jesus says, my words are God's words. Everything that I spoke, everything that I taught, everything that I said is holy scripture. To hear and accept Jesus' words is to hear and accept God's words. Finally, here we see in verse 50, to hear and accept Jesus' words is to have eternal life. They are the source of eternal life. Friends, we could summarize these verses. Today is the day of salvation. There is an urgency every day to believe in Christ because to not believe is to still have condemnation over us. The announcement that Jesus is king comes with this urgency to believe in him while there is still time. That's the sense of urgency we should have when we declare in evangelism and sharing the gospel with friends and family. A sense of urgency. Believe this message. Believe it now. Because Jesus is the victorious king. He was an unexpected kind of king. The people wanted a political king. But Jesus came to be a saving king. One who would rescue them, not by vanquishing his enemies through massive armies, but by killing a greater enemy, sin and death. As we look to Jesus as our victorious king, it should lead us to an unending devotion to him. Every day, waking, how am I going to devote my life to Jesus? What what is it that I need to let go of today in order to, to grab hold of Jesus? What is keeping me from devoting myself to Jesus? It should lead us to this unending praise where we're singing praises to him, acknowledging the death of Christ has accomplished our life. And we should do so with a sense of urgency to believe in him. Let's pray. Father, we pray this morning that we might believe in you, that our hope might be firmly fixed in Christ and in Christ alone. Father, I pray this morning that we might know you better through your word, a greater sense of our need for our King, King Jesus, to save and to save for your glory alone. We pray this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.